Hello everyone, and welcome back to Love and Goliath, a show where we discuss how to love the monster within. It's good for you to have convictions. It's good for you to have morals and beliefs. But anything that's not tested is not true. I'm Shane Foster, the uh, CEO of Fostering Healthy Solutions Consulting Firm, where we focus on healthy solutions to diversity issues through education, training, and awareness, and execution. I'm also the executive director of A Men Together uh, of the YWCA of Nashville and Middle Tennessee. Um, a Men Together is a primary prevention initiative dedicated to ending violence against women and girls by engaging men and boys to be a part of the solution. Um, previously, I played basketball, so an all-time leading scorer in Vanderbilt basketball, uh, men's basketball school history. Um, my jersey was retired this year, so excited about that. Uh, I was an SEC Player of the Year, All-American, uh, was drafted in the NBA to the Dallas Mavericks in 2008, uh, spent some time with the Utah Jazz, played overseas in Italy, Belgium, and Turkey, um, and since then have been um, an active member of the Nashville community. Um, serving on many different boards and advisory roles um, and um, just doing all that I can to um, help make Nashville the safest city in the world for women and girls. And also as we've scaled the men together to be a national program, we have nine affiliates across the country um, and excited about, um, you know, what's happening in those communities as well. Yeah, you know, I again, I was I was listening to some of your interviews, and I, I saw you talking about how you went to a nightclub once, and somebody was like, "Hey, I recognize you as a you know as a basketball player," and you're like, "Oh man, I want you know I want to be recognized as more than this." And so that was one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about uh, because as a former you know boxer and athlete myself, and all these different things, you know, you, you find yourself kind of reinventing yourself in life. But how how is it to reinvent yourself from being like? What was the process for you to go from being probably just having this immense dream of basketball and sports stardom and all this stuff to all of a sudden, okay, well now who am I going to be, or now where am I going to go? Like, how did all this develop for you? Well, it was. It was hard. Um, retiring from basketball was one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made. Um, but also, you know, I was very fortunate to have a great support system around me. Uh, David Williams, who was the athletic director at Vanderbilt, the first African-American athletic director in the Southeastern Conference. Um, he was a great mentor of mine. And we spent so many days and, and, and years talking about the impact um, that I could have in this Nashville community um, if I chose to stay here and, and, and live here. And um, so I wanted to do that. You know, I wanted to, to, to make that difference and give back in this community specifically, love this community, love Nashville, love Vanderbilt um, and, and, and our fans. And, um, and, and like most communities, there, there are many issues. Um, and, 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 you know, those that I'm passionate about and have had the opportunity to collaborate with leaders on, um, you know, it's been a, a great ride. But I'll tell you, you know, it really started off when, for me, you know, going, sitting down and, and, and talking to leaders in the city, um, people who run different companies or in different fields and just getting a lay of the land, trying to understand, you know, 
what what currently exists, where are the gaps, um, where could I plug in, where does my experience and um, and passions align um, with some some necessary work that I could do in the city. And from there, I, I helped to start a, a charter school, Intrepid College Prep, um, here in Nashville and in the Antioch community, um, and then uh, moved to the YWCA to help run this program of engaging men in violence against women and girls. Um, and, and, and the rest kind of took care of itself from there. You know, I, I've always been the type of person to only do the things that I'm, I really feel um, called to do, passionate about doing, and, and, and feel there's a sense of purpose and me being engaged in it. And so um, I've, I've kind of stayed true to that. And once you've, once you kind of gain your footing and, and, and are able to get out there, show the marketplace your value, where you can provide the most value, what your passions are, your work ethic, um, then things kind of take care of themselves from there. And that's, that's really been my experience as I've taken advantage of many of the opportunities that I've been given. Nice. So with the AMEN program, which is basically trying to to educate men, you know, with that, the the domestic violence and all that stuff, educate men's role in it and all that kind of stuff. And and I, I saw something about, you, um, you know, you kind of basically, you guys took the Jackson Cats model and basically kind of worked with that. Is that, is that correct? Or I know, we, we I know. Gained, we gained inspiration from, from many Jackson Cats was one of them. The, the greatest influence was a call to men with Tony Potter. Uh, who is a, a mentor of mine and, and great friend. And um, he came to Nashville and actually hosted the very first um, breakfast that we did and, and really engaged the men in this community and got people excited about the opportunity to um, ultimately end violence against women and girls by engaging men to do so. And um, I've learned so much from him and, and, and the work that they've done um, and continue to, to, um, to collaborate with them on many things. And, um, you know, uh, um, it's, it's a collaboration, you know, the, the, the work that has been done in this space across the country. Um, most of us know each other, spend time together, collaborate on different events and, and, and draw inspiration from each other. And it's so important to have, um, multiple organizations doing this work um, in various spaces. It's impossible for any one organization to do the, the magnitude of work that there is. And I think we all know that and understand that and support each other in any way that we possibly can and, and gain inspiration from, from each other and, and, and philosophies and strategies. And we've been fortunate here in, in, in Nashville to have Vanderbilt University be a strong partner of us um, doing this work as well. So as we built our curriculum, we had um, there's Peabody School of Education um, really leaned in and, and provided some some expertise and youth development um, that helped us get to the place where we are today. So um, this has certainly been a collective effort. We have ambassadors, um, about 35 ambassadors in Nashville that, that really play a huge role in the development of our program and the scalability of it as well. So um, certainly a, a collective effort in that regard. Did you have a lot of uh, passion for the for ending domestic violence against women um, and girls before this, or was it just something that kind of like, oh, well, this is something I could really get behind? Like, did you have a a real history of like, okay, I, I you know, what was always kind of burning inside of you to do this type of work, or not really? Well, I've always been, you know, hypersensitive to the experiences of people around me, and 
I noticed very quickly how my own lived experience changed drastically and really got better um, once I was good at basketball. And as an athlete, I think most athletes have that experience where people begin to treat you like the athlete as opposed to the person once you mm -hmm. show some promise in that area. Um, and that was my experience, but I was always keenly aware of the difference between how people treated me and how they treated my other teammates who, you know, didn't score as many points or the difference between the respect that I got on campus versus the other female athletes um, or the experiences um, just, just walking on campus or just, you know, working in, in corporate America, like the experiences are very different uh, for women than they are for men. And, and, and I've always been aware of that. I, I grew up in a household that um, was predominantly ran by women. Um, my mother spent a large part of my childhood as a single parent. Um, and so I, I, I've always been very um, sensitive to the issues and um, experiences of women and girls. And once I found the YWCA, or they found me rather, um, and we were able to collaborate on this program, you know, it, it really brought those passions back out for me um, in a way that I really didn't anticipate. Um, and um, it's been all for the better. And this has certainly, you know, been a part of my life's work is, is really ultimately trying to end violence against women and girls. So with your experience, then what, what do you see as the biggest stumbling block for, for, for those people that are, that are, that are immersed in this kind of cycle of violence? Because I have very strong issues around it because I've, I've, you know, or ideas about it, but I, I'd like to hear your ideas about like, as with, with the work that you've done and, and the experiences that you guys have had with this program, what are the biggest stumbling blocks to ending this, this cycle of violence, against women and and like where do you guys get caught up in it uh well you know i think the biggest barrier is culture and the fact that we live in a male dominated society and the history of violence against women and girls is really deeply ingrained into american history uh, very similar, of course, not the same, but very similar to the way uh, African-American history is synonymous with American history. Mm -hmm. When you look back um, and really examine how women have been treated um, since the onset, it's always been less than. It's always been objectifying. It's always been... Um, being demeaned and devalued and disrespected. Um, and when you extend that even further to the margins of the margins, and, and I'm talking about um, women of color, I'm talking about um, indigenous women, I'm talking about those who identify um, as transgender, um, then it gets even worse. And that is the history of American culture as it relates to women and girls. And so, um, you know, that in itself is a huge barrier because you're trying to um, deconstruct something that has been in existence from the very beginning. When you look at law and you think about the phrase that we use so, so often, rule of thumb, well, that, that originated in America 
anyway, from the standpoint that it was legal to beat your wife as long as you used a rod that was smaller than your thumb. Mm-hmm. That's who we are. That's that's our history. And so trying to deconstruct that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of sweat equity. It takes a lot of allyship and engagement. Um, and it takes a, a, a level of tolerance and acceptance, but also a willingness from those who are in power positions, a willingness to change and, and, and really be self-reflective and think about whether the way that we act and think and behave are things that are helpful or harmful to us as a society as a whole. And I think people are by and large starting to realize that how we treat anybody is how we treat everybody because we're all connected in some way, shape or form. And so to the extent that we're able to eradicate some of these issues related to women and girls, it will then make it that much easier for us to eradicate other issues as well. Oh, for sure. Sure. For sure. I agree. Um, So, so like, are are you working? So you work with the amen program uh, or that's kind of the, the, the basis of a lot of this stuff, but um, are, are you personally, are you getting to, are you interacting a lot with the, the men and the boys who are kind of living in this cycle of violence and with against women? And so I actually spent some time this morning with the 100 black men of middle Tennessee um, and their 100 Kings program, their high school individuals. And so I get a chance um, on regular occasion to spend time with young men and boys. But then also, as I do this work corporately and provide sexual harassment and violence prevention training across the country um, and social responsibility training across the country, I do get a chance to, to really hear directly from not only men and boys, but also from women and girls Uh, who have had these experiences, who are currently overcoming abusive relationships, um, those who are working in um, shelters and prevention efforts. Um, I just recently did a a training for the Tennessee Coalition to End Domestic Violence. Um, And so, you know, I'm very, very much so still involved um, at the grassroots level of this work and and working to eradicate this issue um, and provide tangible solutions Um, to how we change this culture. This week's episode is brought to you by us, the Goliath Foundation. The Goliath Foundation exists to positively impact men who are struggling to find purpose in life and shed toxic masculinity. We support mental health by offering cohort learning, interactive workshops, and speaking engagements to address the issues of suicide, violence, retaliation, and addiction. We believe that costs should not be a barrier to those seeking help with their mental health. You can support this cause by sponsoring a CHAMP, which can help cover the cost of coaching for someone in need. Support the facilitation of a learning session with a business in your area, allowing individuals to join our group cohort at a lower cost, and much more. Find out how at thegoliathfoundation.com. And now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. So what do you think is the, the biggest solution then, like, uh, or, or, or up there with some of the biggest solutions to this, this huge problem? Well, it's, it's just like anything else. The, the number one solution is personal accountability, um, which is also the, one of the hardest things to get society as a whole to really buy into because we've not proven to be very self-reflective. 
Um, we see that not only in, in business, but we see that in our own personal relationships. I mean, let's just be honest, 60% of marriages are ending in divorce right now. And a large part of those issues come from our inability to be self-reflective, to get counseling, to get the, the, the mentorship that we need in, in those areas alongside um, the business areas. And so, um, you know, it really does come back to accountability, um, not only for yourself, but for the people who are within your sphere of influence. You know, when, when I hear my, my younger brothers or, or friends, peers using language that is degrading to women and girls, I have a responsibility in that moment to say something, to speak up, right? When I, when I see um, the signs of abuse showing up in relationships, the people I care about, I have a responsibility to offer solutions, to offer resources and help and, and to be able to encourage um, young brothers um, in particular, that, that that's not the way to go, you know, that, that there's there's an alternative way um, to 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 exist in relationship with partners and spouses that yields itself to um, a more healthy relationship and one where not only are you um, creating a better experience for your partner, but also you're able to uh, appreciate and experience a better relationship for yourself. Um, and it's those kind of conversations that are much needed and necessary, uh, but it can't just be from the podium though. You know, it can't just be that people only hear this message when they, when they're interacting with a, a, a keynote speaker or with a trainer, these are conversations that need to start at home that we need to have with our sons and our daughters around what's acceptable and what's not, and what the responsibility is of ourselves first and of the people around us as it relates to this culture that we all participate in. It all comes back to accountability. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it, it like you say, it's, it's all, well, in my belief and my work with the Goliath foundation is all about like creating that sense within yourself where you're, where you're so grounded that you're not going to hurt anybody else. Like, why would you? Right. So you mm -hmm. strengthen yourself first, but, but here's a hard question. I'm going to throw this hard question at you. Um, speaking of, of uh, you African-Americans and the, and a lot of history and the, uh, and different things, but what, what about all these boys? What about like, have you encountered a lot of issues around all these boys who are saying who are struggling with the that the history their own history of of abuse by their mothers because there's been a lot of boys i have a lot of friends and a lot of a lot of men that came up in being abused by the, you know their their moms who are their main provider spanking them hitting them yelling at them abusing them so then it gets so entrenched in them so there's this there's a long cycle of violence that that you know again there it's 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 not as though it's you know like it it goes much deeper than just men being i mean they have all this pain in some cases from childhood from these women who beat them right so how do you how how have you experienced this as a, as far as a dialogue with these men who are who are expressing violence towards women well i think you know the the most important thing here is to really be intentional about understanding that these are learned behaviors these are not behaviors that we all come into the world um acting out and and and, and replicating this is learned behavior um and it goes back again for for history 
the way in which slave owners got the those who were enslaved to behave was through violence, mm -hmm. physical violence, brutal violence. Absolutely. And so for parenting, you look at that and you say, well, if my child acts out, the way in which I get them to behave is by this force. It's, it's also in scripture where the Bible even says that when you spare the rod, you spoil the child. And people have taken that very literally and adopted that into their parenting practice. And so what you get now is validated abuse. 100%. And, and our inability to really talk about these things. And it's part of the reason why I wrote the book, What Hurt Didn't Hinder, um, and really was the most vulnerable I've ever been in my entire life. And a part of that was to begin to heal some of the things that are happening in communities and in families that we just don't talk about. Mm -hmm. They happen. They happen every single day. They're real experiences and they have real consequences. But for our history, we've swept these things under the rug. And what I've learned is that ignorance is not bliss because it allows a false narrative to proceed. Mm -hmm. And so we got to be able to uncover those actions, those behaviors that are creating um, negative experiences. There's a lot of research now um, that's being discussed on ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, right? And a lot of that comes from abuse that you've witnessed as children mm -hmm. and not having a space to really talk about it and be honest. I mean, think about it. When you, when you think back to, to parents and grandparents um, and generations before, you were taught not to question them. You were taught not to talk back, not to challenge their authority. Well, that's the same thing that happened during slavery. Mm -hmm. It's just being replicated now in family, and it's a huge issue. Um, and, and, and so as it relates to that, we do have you know, a lot of, of, of young boys, a lot of men, adult men today, who that was a part of their traumatic childhood, and it's caused them to normalize abusive behavior and it's a cycle that has to be broken yeah and and i think again i think this is the conversation that has to happen is like like there's like it's so it's so entrenched in in history and in families because again i i have i bounced for years i was a bouncer for years so i was around a lot of the interaction between men and women and and i you know i have these friends you know you know, who are, who are treating women the way they were treating them. But, but most people didn't understand that there was like this huge history. Like one of my best friends, he was being beaten by his mom. He was being locked out of the house by his mom. He was basically being frozen to death by his mom. And then people are like, well, well, he's a real dick to women. Well, it's like, of course, he's a real dick to women. And this is what's happening with like, so it's, so it's, it's so entrenched in all these different layers. And then you go to, a, you can go to, a, I go to the shopping center now and I see these women towering over their, their children. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that women, 
you know, I'm not going on the other side either. I'm just saying that all of us need to be educated that violence is never good, it's never right, it's never right to use force, it's never right to use really aggression. We need to learn to, okay, what do we, how can we uh, um, coexist in a family, in a community, in this world, so that we're all getting the benefit of society? Agreed? Or Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's about power and control. That's, that's, that's at the heart of it. When you feel like you don't have power over a situation or you are not in control of a situation, because, again, we've lived in a very male dominated society where we've bought into this notion of male and manhood being synonymous with strength and force then that's what we turn to in those moments where we feel out of control, where we feel powerless. We try to exert our power over another person, typically those who are closest to us. So I think you're, you're absolutely right on online and, and hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. And, that, and that's why, and again, like, I mean, I want to hear your views on this, but again, I think that's why we have to give people power, give people, all people, their power, internally right i have power because i'm a i'm whatever i'm a, i'm a self-assured person i know who i am i'm i'm all these things and i have power within me irregardless of what's going on around me right because I, I think that's the only way that we can really start to solve this problem is to make everybody feel powerful so they don't have to exert their power over others right well i, I think i think what we're really getting at and, and just just to, to give a different perspective and a different word I'm not I'm not so sold on people wanting power and needing power as I am on people wanting and needing autonomy. Exactly. Yes. The the ability to self-govern. Right. Mm -hmm. That's 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 at the heart of America. Right. Like when settlers came over here and they saw Indians, they were coming over here for the purpose of being able to self-govern. They wanted the ability to make decisions for themselves about religion, about business, about taxes, about how to convene with others, how to live life. And so that, I think, is what all people want. When you look at every single issue, regardless of the issue, at the heart of the issue is the fight for autonomy. When you look at the the Me Too movement, it's a fight for autonomy. When you look at Roe Roe v. Wade, it's a fight for autonomy. You look at um, Black Lives Matter, it's a fight for autonomy, right? Can can I I just live and breathe and be able to walk out my door and and not feel threatened and not feel like the whole world is against me? Can I I have the autonomy to show up and work and, and be the version of myself that is authentic? as opposed to someone else being in power and determining for me what my dress code is, how I speak and behave, um, you know, how, how much of my creativity I'm able to use and direct towards um, positive gain, right? Like it's, it's, it's all of those things. It's all about the ability to, to maintain autonomy over self. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how do we, how do we instill that feeling within people? Because again, you can't, I, I believe that you can't, you can't reach out for things. You need to, you need to kind of embody it within yourself to experience it. This is what I believe, right? So how do we, 
how do we get closer to being able to instill autonomy within individuals to eradicate these problems where they're they're acting out because they don't feel like they have a sense of autonomy? How do we do this? Well, I think first and foremost, awareness is critical. We got to be able to talk about these things and have the courage to talk about these things in spaces where the conversation has historically been absent. And so in Congress, in law enforcement, in legislature, in the classroom, in professional settings, being able to talk about honestly and transparently the experiences of men in those spaces versus the experiences of everybody else. Mm-hmm. So if I am, if I'm the CEO, if I'm the chief of police, if I'm, you know, the politician who was just elected, right? Like I have a, a sense of power. I have a sense of belonging. I have a sense of ability to do and act and behave in a way that I think is, is, is right. Um, so ultimately I have autonomy. I have freedom. The issue is that we're, we're not so reflective that we're able to look across from us and see that the person next to us, even though they may be in the same room, even though they may be working on the same team, may have a similar title, may not be having the same experience that we do. So we got to be able to raise the awareness of consciousness that these two things are not the same regardless of your own personal experience, your experience does not mean that my experience is the same. My experience has to be the same in order for it to be the same, right? And so I think a lot of that conversation has to start and raise awareness in spaces that that conversation has historically not existed. And then from there, we have to do a better job. And I talk about this in my book of giving people the freedom and permission to show up differently. So as a, as a man, I got to have the permission and the support of other men to cry in public, to go and get counseling, to, to be a supportive husband to my spouse, a partner, right? To, to, to love on my kids in the same way without subscribing to this notion of toxic manhood, Right? As a, as a coach, I have to have the, the freedom to prioritize wellness with my team without the backlash, right? I, I, I got to have the freedom to love on my brothers, right? I'll, I'll never forget, I was speaking at a conference and Joe Ehrman um, was there at the conference and I was sitting next to him. And once I got done with my presentation, I came and I sat back down next to him and he put his arm around me and he said, I just want you to know, I love you and I'm proud of you. Mm. And, 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 uh, and, uh, and I didn't, I didn't knowingly do this, but my, my body's reaction to that was to start crying. And I'm sitting there like, yo, why am I, why am I crying? And the more I thought about it, it was because that's not a regular occurrence to have another man who is not my father, right? Who I'm not in, in a, an emotional relationship with, but who, who cares enough about me to say, I love you and I'm proud of you. Yeah. So powerful, right? right? It's, it's so powerful that in that moment, my, my, 
subconscious reaction was to cry, right? Yeah, we got to give people permission to do that, man. For sure. And I think we need to, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, but I think we need to just change that whole freaking paradigm of power. Power is empower, the ability to empower others. The more you can, the more an individual understands that real power is your ability to empower the other, the people around you. Now we have, like, that's what real power is. That's what the greatest leaders of the world have done, right? Like the Gandhis and the, and, you know, the Martin Luther Kings, they empowered others to do, you know, and I think just like, we need to do that. We need to all like shift that paradigm of power. The power is not, power is about empowering others. And, and again, I mean, what you're talking about, I work with kids too, you know, if you could see and be proud of them and show them and, and see the best in them and get them to see the best in themselves and their own power, that's how we can start to create real global change in this these situations of violence agreed yeah i could i couldn't agree more we got to do it um and that's why a lot of the work around the men together is redefining masculinity oh that's where it starts how how we define manhood and how we break down these these walls and these barriers that hold people hostage to a certain idea of of manhood Right. We, we got to give people the, the autonomy, the freedom, the power to choose for themselves how they show up. And when we give people that 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 empowerment, then typically they choose actions that are helpful and not harmful. But when we force people to identify in any certain kind of way, the natural reaction to that force is typically something that is harmful to ourselves and to the others around us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm so, I'm so glad that we have like all these interviews that are going on, all these conversations that are going on that people can see, because again, it's changing that, that idea of what strength is and what power really is. Cause it's so, it's been so confusing. And so, like I say, all these, like you say, all these hundreds, thousands of years of, well, it's force, it's power or it's strength. It's, it's being above somebody else when it's not, it's not at all. It's about empowering others. That's real power. That's real power. And um, yeah, so I'm so glad we're having these conversations. I'm so glad that the, like what you're doing with Amanda is going on and um yeah, such a great, great conversation to be having and to be, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Man. It's, it's, it's critical. It's important. Uh, I'm so glad that people around the country are starting to move in this direction and, and, and joining the fight. Um, and I think we need more. We, we need so much more. And, you know, as we continue to do this work, we got to create space for everybody. Um, this is not a, you know, a dictatorship or this, this work can't be done in silos. We got to do it in collaboration with each other. Um, and it's not just men. We need women to be involved as well. You know, men together doesn't exist. This, this work around engaging men doesn't exist if not for the decades of fighting that women did in the women's, women's movement right? Like women's rights movement, like that we sit on the shoulders of those giants and always are in allyship, right? And, and so that's, that's critical and important um, as we continue to move, move forward to, to be respectful of that. Um, 
and, and, and lean on that experience for guidance, even as we do this work with men and boys. Yeah, 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 because the, the women's right movement was basically pretty aligned with the abolitionist movement for, uh, for a long time. But, the you know, they kind of they kind of spread off a little bit over time, though. Right. Because the I guess the the uh, urgency wasn't quite the same, probably. Whereas now I think we have to recognize that the urgency is there, right? Well, I think uh, the, the other frustration I have with, with us as Americans is we, we're, so, we're so reactive. Mm. We, we, don't, we don't typically move or get engaged or, or find something of vital importance until it hit home. Mm. So what happens is you see men who, when they have a daughter, they change where they hang out, how they communicate, what they allow in their home. All of that changes when they have a daughter. Hopefully. Hopefully. Right. Yeah. yeah. But we got to hold ourselves to the standard of, no, this is what the expectation is across the board. That we treat people with dignity and respect that, that there is, there are boundaries to the fun. There are boundaries to the jokes. Because those jerks create a culture where now we have to be worried about one in four women experiencing domestic violence. Mm. One in six girls on college campuses being raped. One in seven boys being sexually abused. Right. The number of, of women and girls who have, have uh, been victims of incest and rape by members of their own family. All because we won't uphold the standard. Mm-hmm. Got to do it. Yeah, crazy, crazy. So, so, is there anything that you would really like to kind of leave the individual watching this, listen to this interview with, like as they come, as kind of we come to the end of this discussion, like one one thing that some guy listened to this who's maybe involved in that world where there is domestic violence, there is you know, abuse, whatever it is, what, what's the thing that you would like to live that individual with? Just that it's about finding your voice, no matter who you are, how you identify, uh, what your family situation is. We, we all got to find our voice. My, my voice is to be a speaker and, and use my gifts across the country to, to talk about these things for somebody else. It might be at their kitchen table, you know, just just having these conversations with their family for for others, it might be having the conversations corporately. What does it look like for, you know, women who are making less money doing the same jobs in the workplace? Right. What does it look like to have, um, you know. Family sustaining wages, right, like all of that is a part of this conversation. I think everybody has a responsibility to, to find their voice. Um, you know, you might be someone who is into art or music or whatever the case may be, right? There's always a place for everyone to plug in, but we need everyone's voice at the table mm. in order to truly create the kind of sustainable change where those numbers begin to change. And ultimately we make our community safer for women and, women and girls. Nice. I'm sorry. I got one more kind of probably hard, maybe a little bit hard, right? but uh, for, for that guy who basically violence, he saw his, his dad beating up his mom, his mom was beating up on him is so entrenched in it. And he's having a hard time to break that cycle. What do you say to that guy? Like, 
what do you what do you what do you say to that guy to kind of break the cycle and to start moving to that direction of like this is not all right we can't continue i say two things one it's important for everybody regardless of their situation to go to counseling this, this thing called life is hard it just is and it's hard for everybody regardless of how you identify and and it's important that we have a third party to sit there and bounce things off of mm. these ideas, these things that we hold dear that are just more traditional than they are right. It's just how things have been done. We need somebody to bounce those things off of, to get new mm. ideas and fresh perspectives um, and, and to allow iron to sharpen iron and, and, and allow some accountability, which leads me to the second point, which is we got to surround ourselves with diverse groups of people. If, if we only surround ourselves with people who think the same way that we do, then it doesn't allow us to self-regulate because it's everything is normalized because we all think the same way. So if, if we if I'm only hanging with the people that I grew up with and we all had the same growing up experience, then violence is normalized. Mm -hmm. How we talk to each other is normalized. How we talk about women and girls is normalized. So nobody's going to step up and say that it's wrong because this is what this is all we know. But the more diverse my group is, now I have the, the ability to be around some people who think differently, who have some, some different traditions, who um, you know, are bringing different thoughts and ideas to the table that challenge what it is that, that, I'm, that I'm doing. You know, I'll, I'll never forget being at Vanderbilt and minoring in religious studies and professor uh, forced us to really research and understand all religions and then write a complete report on why we believe what we believe. And some people got offended and said, you know, I don't, don't want to be exposed to other religions. Why do I have to defend? Well, the whole point is it's good for you to have convictions. It's good for you to have morals and beliefs, but anything that's not tested is not true. Mm -hmm. So can, can what you believe sustain the test? And the same is true for how we act and behave as it relates to our relationships and proximity to others. If you believe that how you act and behave is the right way to act and behave, then it should be able to withstand the accountability that should come from the diverse group around us. I love that. So basically we need to teach people. And I, I say this all the time. We need to teach people, especially young people, be critical thinkers. Does this make sense? Why am I doing this? Like what, you know, so that that's a large, large part of it is, is basically critical thinking, right. And creating, you know, looking around you and saying, well, what's working for people, right. What's, what's mm -hmm. true. What's really true. Right. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. Cool, man. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but God, I, I, I could talk to you for hours, but uh, <laughs> it's such a big issue, but um, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with me. No problem at all. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we'll add uh, we'll add uh, some links. So where where can people get a hold of you then to if they want to learn more or or see the things that you're involved in? Or you can find me on pretty much all social media platforms: LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, also follow us on Amend Together, Amend underscore Together. We're on all social media platforms um, there as well. You can visit our website at www.amentogether.org. 
Thank you all so much for joining us, as always. We love hearing from you, so if you have comments, questions about the episode, topics you want us to cover, or anything else, you can find us on Instagram as Loving Goliath, on Facebook as The Goliath Foundation, you can email us at lovinggoliath at gmail.com, or you can find out more information about The Goliath Foundation at thegoliathfoundation.com. Hey, did you know that 36% of our listeners tune in through Apple Podcasts? If that's you and you liked what you heard today, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you again, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.